This is a fun show today. With this conversation that I had with Dr. Justin Dubin, I learned that male porn stars actually have erectile dysfunction. <laughs> we also learned that these telehealth TRT clinics can be more harmful and cause more damage than good. Today's conversation is with Dr. Justin Dubin. Dr. Dubin is a trained urologist and andrologist focused in men's health at Memorial Healthcare Systems in Miami. He focuses on male sexuality, Peroni's disease, and testosterone treatment. In addition, he has his own podcast called The Man Up, a doctor's guide to men's health podcast. With Dr. Dubin, we talk about porn stars, why do, and he wrote a paper on this. This is not something that he's just uh, uh, coming up with. He wrote a paper and we wrote, he also did a, an experiment where he called several clinics, TRT clinics, told them there's his situation and which was obviously uh, fake. And most of them actually recommended TRT, testosterone treatment, without him probably needing it. Today's conversation with Dr. Justin Dubin on male porn actors, and TRT clinics, and more. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my intention to help you improve your prostate health and live better with age. Such a pleasure to have our guy here, Justin Dubin. Justin, thank you, man. On a, on a Saturday, you live out in Miami. You know, you could be out on a beach somewhere. Here you are. Here you are in a podcast with me. I, I appreciate you, brother. Don't worry. I'm going to the beach right after. <laughs> I figured. Yeah, I figured. I'm, that's hitting good. The, I mean, I'm hitting the beach. If you live there, come on. Yeah. On a Saturday. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much for being on. No, I'm that's pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we spoke about, uh, we talked about it before the recording. It's like, yeah, I know. Of course I know Justin Dubin. Wait a minute. We never actually met. Wait a minute. This is only through social media. Oh my God. This is the first time I actually get to meet Justin Dubin. So, so it's, it's like one of those weird things with social media where you think you actually know people and yeah, no. you never actually met. So uh, it's such a pleasure, brother. Absolutely a pleasure, man. I've been following you forever too. I mean, it's, our, it's like we've just, our paths never truly crossed, but we've been there and uh, it's great to finally connect in real life. Well, not in real life, but at least talk to you it's, like this it's, it's as close to real life as, as 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 possible you know with ai and everything it will be real life <laughs> you're right uh, you know digital life and real life will be one probably so so it you know so i follow you also on instagram and um and then you you posted something and it prompted me to say all right hey do you want to get on a podcast so you did an experiment where you called a couple of a couple of trt and um anti-aging clinics and I know you have a lot to say about that. And you kind of yeah. said, look, this is what I have. And it's not and what you what you presented to them that you have was not something that potentially, and you'll expand on that, where you need TRT. But they say, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, you can, you, we can help you and we'll, we, you know. So tell me more about that experiment and expand on the problem. Look, there's an anti, you're down in Florida. Man, oh, there's an anti-hating no. clinic like in every other corner. Oh my God, it's crazy. And I think what you and I are afraid of is, and I've seen this, right? I've seen this because then p patients come to me and I look at their blood and there's a lot of, um, it, I don't know that the follow-up is great. I don't know that the continuation of their care is great. Sometimes their testosterone is like, you know, 1500 
And I personally, we can expand on that as well. I think that's, there's no need for that, right? Normal physiologic levels could be up to eight, 900. You get, you know, free testosterone, but then they have high estradiol as a result or um, all sorts of things. And they just not well. So it's not that I'm against these clinics or I am, or I'm against clinics that are just not doing the right thing for patients and I'm a patient advocate. So from your experience, tell me about your experiment and the actual problem with some of these anti-aging clinics. So thank you for that introduction. And I think, excuse me, uh, before we get into the experiment and my and my research project, I think what we have to under, give our, our listeners is a baseline of the role of testosterone therapy, who it's appropriate for, and, and you know how we define low testosterone. Because if you don't understand these things, then you're not going to understand the results of my study. And just a quick background. Per and, and as a urologist, you work in urology. There's multiple guidelines. There's the Endocrine Society guidelines that has a low T that defines low T a little bit differently than the AUA, which is the American Urology Association guidelines. But per the Urology Association guidelines, you need two things to be considered what we call hypogonadal or someone who has low testosterone um, and is, uh, you know, an eligible person for testosterone replacement therapy. One, um, the most common, you have to have low testosterone, right? So that level per our AUA guidelines is 300. We look at total testosterone and it's less than 300. Usually we say you have to have level two levels less than 300. The Endocrine Society uses a, the in their guidelines, they don't give a number for uh, testosterone. They don't give a number for uh, free T, but they also include free T and they say rel- within reason low t- free testosterone. Um, there's a lot of different labs for free T, saliva, you know, there's different measurements and, and that you can get lost and talk about that for hours. But, you know, for our purposes, we're going to talk about total testosterone, much simpler to conceptualize here. And the second thing is you actually have to have signs and symptoms of low testosterone, you know, and those include decreased energy, sex drive, erectile dysfunction, focus issues, obesity, you know, these are just to name a few. And, you know, we know, and this is such a hot topic now, uh, because, you know, we know that, testosterone levels and everyone's talking about it are they decline when you get older you know starting at the age of 40 your your testosterone levels go down about one two percent a year we know that about 20 percent of guys under the age of 40 28 even under the age of 60 have low testosterone 30 percent in their 70s and 50 percent in the in your 80s so men justin when you say low testosterone are you yes. referring to the AUA guidelines like below 300? And the yes. reasons, you know why I'm asking this question. You you mentioned some of the symptoms. You could be at 400 with these symptoms, right? You could be Correct. at 450 with these symptoms. So Correct. when you're referring to low testosterone, are you referring to lower than 300? Uh, yes, I think this is the Baltimore Longitudinal Aging Study. And I think they used uh, the total testosterone levels um, is where we got that data from. Uh, I have to review exactly what their yeah. their things were, but you bring up a good point. You know, uh, as we've learned, you know, the 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 normal testosterone level for a thirty year old man should not be the same as that of a seventy year old man, right? We know that your levels decline. And, and uh, some little seventy year old men in Florida they they want oh. thirty year they want that <laughs> they want that thirty year old testosterone. Absolutely. We know that. <laughs> And, and, and we'll, we can get into it. And guidelines are guidelines. They're not law. And now obviously right. we will talk about that. But, you know, there's newer data um, suggesting, you know, a guy who's 30 years old having a testosterone of 350 is probably low. 
you know, so, you know, they're, they're not law. And, and how I always tell everyone is, you know, I use the guidelines to, to provide accurate and good and safe care for my patients. Um, but you know, it's not black and white, right? Patients are, I take people on in an individualized basis and we have to understand that. But having said that, you know, that is our general guidelines. And, you know, why did we do this study is because, you know, you can tell you, Geo, you've seen it. Anyone, if you're alive and you have a pulse, you have eyes and ears. Testosterone has been all over the news. People are talking about it more than ever. Sales have been through the roof. And especially since COVID, the direct to consumer market has exploded. You know, Hims, HERS, Roman, Blue Chew, those focus really on erectile dysfunction. And those have become very popular for a long time. But now we have an increase in direct consumer testosterone. And unlike, you know, Viagra Cialis, which is sold, you know, those are, although have side effects and risks, um, you know, are in general pretty safe. You know, there's obviously contraindications for things. But when we're talking about testosterone therapy, it's a, it's a class three controlled substance, DEA controlled substance. And there are other side effects. You know, the major risks of testosterone therapy is it causes infertility in men about, I think, about 60% of men, uh, oh, I just blanked on this data, 60% of men in four months of taking testosterone develop zero sperm in their ejaculate. Um, it, it, you can recover it, but obviously that's something important for people to know. It can cause polycythemia, which is increased blood thickness, theoretically can cause stroke, heart attack, clots, stuff like that. Um, and there used to be a belief that you know increased risk of cardiovascular events, a stroke and heart attack, the Transcend trial recently came out in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, about a month ago from where we were recording this, maybe six weeks ago, that using androgel showed that, uh, which is the, the topical uh, testosterone, that that is not a thing. And then the, the original trial that came out many, many years ago that, that prompted this was a bad trial um, that I'm sure you had Mokira on. I, I don't know if you discussed it, but he, he will, he's the master of all of this. He was, he was part of that. Uh, yeah, Dr. Kira, he went in and deep about uh, the flaws of that study, Yeah, uh, which essentially is that um, many of the men who had cardiovascular disease already had a pretty significant cardiovascular disease. Correct. Um, that, those that got on, on TRT. Justin, let me ask you a question before you move on, because yeah. guidelines are always very interesting to me how they come about. Isn't it that the insurance companies drive these guidelines? So in other words, insurance companies say, we're not paying if it's less than, if it's over 300, we're paying if it's less than 300. Isn't there some contribution from the insurance industry, health insurance? I would say, no, no, it's the opposite. It's, it's the other way around. So mm -hmm. a group of the top urologists got together for the AUA. They were assigned, you know, top guys in testosterone knowledge. They came up with a decision. I think the last update was in 2018. Um, uh, they made a decision on what they felt were the guidelines and they gave recommendations a group of guys based off of all the data they did a massive data search had multiple right. meetings and once the guidelines come out the insurance then says this is what we will pay for this is what we won't pay for it's not that the insurance yep, dictates it's not the guidelines. It's, yeah. it's that insurance will go based off of well this is what the guidelines say so why are you treating it if it's 305 and let me and ask you a better to a problem. Let me ask you a better question. Thank you for clarifying that. Actually, let me ask you a better question on that. My understanding, my experience talking to Mohit, reading the research. At the end of the day, 
and you, I know you say we, we're not going to talk talk a lot about free tea, but yeah, you sort of yeah. have to. And here's why. Yeah. At the end of the day, you need about two percent free for anything to it. So you could have seven hundred total, and if Correct. not something near two percent free, it's not happening. I've seen guys three twenty. You know, I think I've seen two eighty. 2.23%. They don't have any symptoms. It's just an incidental finding. So I think that the name, so you could be at 350, 400. And some people would say, well, just have more total. If you have more total, you have more free. Not that simple, but yeah, let's just go along with that for now. So if the cutoff is 300 and insurance is not going to pay unless it's three, unless it's under 300, a guy comes in 354 for 50, but his free is low. He could, they could be a candidate for total T. I, I agree with you. Well, for for 100%. A lot of these guys who are at that borderline, what I'll see is I'll look at their free tea. And if their free tea is low, I obviously I can I try to justify it through the insurance and say, hey, look, you know, the free tea is low. Let's do this. But also, you know, the insurance, there's ways around it, right? Uh, you know, GoodRx is a wonderful, wonderful creation out there. It's a coupon that you can get very relatively cheap testosterone. That's not, you know, it's a coupon pretty much that everyone uses. And I use it for Viagra, for Cialis. And, and a lot of times, a lot of my guys use it uh, even if they have insurance because it's cheaper still through the GoodRx. So, I mean, they're-, so they're it, but, GoodRx, a website that people- GoodRx is a website, G-O-O-D-R-X. It's a website. It's an app. It's completely free. And you can use it for pretty much any medication. You just have to check, um, you know, where- you, uh, you know, different pharmacies have different rates. So for example, here in Florida, I can get you 90 tabs of Cialis, five milligrams, uh, uh, for $17 if you go to Publix, which is, or Costco, but which you is still need a prescription. People cannot go. Oh, no, no. You need a prescription, but you show that to your pharmacist. I, you know, and you say, hey, I'm picking up my medication. Here's my coop. You bring up the app, you bring up the website and then they, okay, $17. Instead of like a thousand dollars or seven hundred, you put like, in the prescription directly to GoodRx versus CVS. No, or, no, I said you're, not, you're not involved. I'm not involved. And what kind of prescription? Like we don't, we, there's no pads anymore. Like so, what are they looking at? What what kind of prescription are they looking at? Uh, oh well, they have. I electronically sent it to them, so they know that it's in this. Just like anything, I write a script. Just like any, send so they, they go, hey, I sent it to your Publix. They show. They yeah, go, so okay, I'm going question. to pick it up. Here's my here's my GoodRx app. Here's the medication. Here's the coupon. So, you know, okay, there, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's different for different meds, but a lot of times good RX, you can get very cheap testosterone if you're, uh, if you're, you know, you can't really afford the medication that you're you prescribed. So, uh, especially Viagra, Cialis, you know, I've seen a lot of guys come in, they go, I would love to have Viagra or Cialis. I can't afford it. I go, well, let's figure this out. Cause I can get you. Can you get, so can you get, uh, now the pills for testosterone or anything like that? The uh, the oral ones, I don't think so at this point. You know, injections, yes. I'm not. Injections. I know injections. Injections, yes. I haven't used it for androgel yet. I'm not sure, but I have. I have used it for you know. And so you know, if that's a little tip for our listeners that you know we're providers, you know, I use. I, most providers do know that. You know, I, we're using GoodRx. Is I don't understand how they make money. I don't really get it, but I'm a big good, good RX guy for sure. And once again, I'm not getting paid. You, the doctors don't get paid. I don't even, I'm not associated with it, right? I just say, oh, go use that app. So, all right. Are we ready to get into your, because man, I want to know. I, 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 seriously, I'm like a listener. I really want to know about your experiment more than what I read on Instagram. Yeah. So, so basically, you know, with all these side effects, potential side effects, and, you know, we understood there's a lot of information out there suggesting, you know, 
guys are going to take medicines. They're not going to really think about the side effects, you know, I, especially as a male men's health doctor, male infertility doctor, testosterone, you know, andrologist. I see so many guys, especially in Florida, who are coming in, or even when I was in Chicago, or, you know, they come in, they're infertile because no one told them that taking testosterone was going to cause infertility. Uh, they've been on it for years and, and they're like, well, no one told me. I, you know, uh, I went to these men's health clinics. No one told me this or, you know, and, and, and that's that. And also, uh, you know, you see guys all the time, their testosterones are like you're saying, they're jacked up. They're 2000. And they're like, this is what they told me to be at. You know, I go in once a week, I get an injection. I pay, you know, $250 for the injection every week. I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing here? So, you know, we wanted with, with this spreading to the direct to consumer market, we wanted to understand if this was being done in a safe and thoughtful manner. So what we did was we identified uh, direct to consumer testosterone therapy clinics or companies really online that provided state care in all 50 states uh so this was not regional it was a, and it, it, these were national companies and we act and then i personally acted as a secret shopper which i you know i followed a set script um that you can see in the supplementation of the of the of our uh publication uh that i identified myself as a 34 year old man i'm 35 now i was 34 when i did that with symptoms of of low testosterone, you know, including low libido, erectile dys dysfunction, low energy, but I did desire future fertility. It is a big thing that you know I, is my character, and I do personally still desire future fertility. Um, <laughs> and then I personally interact with all the platforms. You know, I got the required blood work, and I went to the uh, uh, initial telemedicine consultation where I engaged with the, either a nurse practitioner, a PA or a non-medically licensed individual. And is this uh, what was published in JAMA in 2022? Yes, this is what was published in, in JAMA. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll so- I'll put up the link on the show notes. Yeah, that would be great. Um, and so basically I did that for, you know, we tried to do 10 companies. We ended up getting seven companies involved, which I will never tell anyone the names. I've been asked that many, many times. I'm not going to disclose any of the company names uh, for, my own purposes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, what were the results? You know, so just, so my testosterone levels were 675. My normal testosterone, I think was about 10 picograms. I was, which was in the normal range. Maybe some people would argue, some people say it's eh, normal, low, whatever. Yeah. Three, I think 10. Okay. Um, this is your character, of course, the, the character. Yeah, the, well, this is no, this is my levels. No, this is real. Okay. I, this is okay. my blood level. I got real levels. This is not made up. I went to a lab. Thankfully, my levels were good. Otherwise, oh, this isn't good to me. It would have been. It would have been a disaster if my levels were actually bad. So we, you know, thank God I I, I eat healthy. I exercise. I do all the things that you know. I I try to be a a model of uh for my patients because I feel like. There's always a hypocritical thing if I'm fat, smoking cigs, yeah. and I'm and not exercising. I'm there, like, there's you all these things are in our profession, unfortunately. Great people <laughs> and experts in what they do, but they're they don't look that healthy, unfortunately. Well, you know, uh, I I practice my way, and I'm not going to sh throw shade, but that's how I like to do it. So it was very encouraging to see that my levels were good. So basically, yeah. we talked about normal levels. Mine were very above well, not very above they were good very solid numbers that i think 99 out of 100 people would say you do not need any medications to supplement uh what your what what you have going on 
Did you present symptoms to as your character to these places? So I do yeah. low libido or something? Did yes. I did say, I said I have low libido, low energy, erectile dysfunction. Um, now, uh, despite the levels being normal and despite desiring fertility, something that we know that testosterone can compromise, six of the seven companies offered me testosterone. And only half of them, three out of the six that offered it, uh, discussed fertility risk with me. None of the companies, based off of the guidelines we discussed, were uh, using the guideline levels for diagnosis or treatment. So, you know, that's obviously concerning, you know, and when we're talking about levels for treatment, you know, I'm usually a guy, the guidelines there say 450 to 600 is around really where you want to be ideally. You know, these, a lot of these companies were saying, we want you at a thousand or higher. A couple companies said, you know, we want you We'll keep, there's no max, you we'll go higher. Or higher. And then a couple companies said, there is no limit until you feel good, which is also concerning, right? You know, so- uh, to, to play devil's advocate a little bit, the current society guidelines sounds to me like they do give you that wiggle room to kind of come up with your own numbers. Is that, and, and can, they, can, can some of these clinics kind of go by the endocrine society uh, guidelines and say, well, you could be as high as you want to be as long as you feel good. Well, you know, I think that several things. One, I, I'm not going to say if someone's testosterone on TRT is like, you know, it depends. Like, you know, if you're injecting yourself once a week with testosterone and I try to get your labs at a mid cycle and it's 650 at mid cycle, is it not probably at 1100 or a th like a thousand when you inject the day you inject of course it probably is i mean you got to be crazy to think you know the, the testosterone the half-life is about six seven days uh test sip uh test testosterone enantinate is about three days so there's different ways you can inject obviously um this is just for injections but the point being you know yeah your your, your testosterone levels fluctuate so i mean we looked at it they also weren't concordant with the endocrine society guidelines none of them were so i mean at the same vein it wasn't really concordant with the endocrine society or urology and for your thing where you're saying like okay could you know we just make it go higher forever you could and you know but here's the thing you know heroin feels good is more heroin better no i mean things are things you know can help you testosterone can help you but and we talked about cardiovascular risk stroke and the Transcend study was very important because it showed at therapeutic levels, it doesn't cause heart attack and strokes. But I don't know if your levels are at 2000 and you're jacked up. You know, there's a lot of studies out there on, you know, you know, these guys who are bodybuilders and stuff like that, who are at T levels that are, you know, super therapeutic God levels. And these guys have higher risk of heart attack and stroke. The data is out there. We know that now. Why? Probably because more is not always better. And, you know, right. your body lives in a physiological range of things where that's where you should be. Our goal is never, we're treating a disease. We're treating a, a you know, a, a misbalance. We're not trying to exceed that, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. I'm in total agreement with you. Yeah. You've seen quite a few bodybuilders die from heart attacks recently. To me, yeah. bodybuilding, professional bodybuilding is the most dangerous. And I love it, by the way. I've gone to Mr. Olympia. <laughs> I think I'm going to go to the Arnold Classics um, coming up next year in Columbus, Ohio. Very cool. I like to see a freak show. But that doesn't mean that is healthy for those guys. 
And it's actually, I think it's one of the most unhealthy sports that um, anyone can participate in. Um, Very little return. They actually don't make that much money and they are putting their life on the line. So total agreement. Um, So bottom line, uh, buyer beware, buyer beware. Yeah, listen, I I think there's a couple things though to, to say. I am not against the direct to consumer concept. I think, right. you know, I have to say overall, my interactions with the telemedicine platforms was pleasant. It's very efficient, but I was surprised by the gaps in, in their counseling and their recommendations, you know, that I pursue testosterone. And, you know, I think that telemedicine in general, you, if you check my papers, I have written literal, uh, papers on telemedicine and testosterone. Like I've given recommendations on how to practice safe, you know, telemedicine, uh, you know, treatment of TRT. And, and I think telemedicine has a lot of benefits. You're right. You know, especially when we're talking about men's health and men's health stigmas, you know, guys don't want to go to the office. They don't want anyone else to see that they have these problems. So telemedicine is great for that. Cause it's a, it's a, it decreases that barrier of entry to care because I can get it done from the privacy of my home you know, there's a, you know, we, we just submitted an abstract looking at um, direct to consumer knowledge of why uh, younger men under 40 who use, you know, erectile dysfunction medications and w- well, not only direct to consumer, anyone who's used it and above everything that they valued, we asked what was the most important thing for you for getting medicine was privacy. Number one was privacy. It wasn't the cost. It wasn't, it wasn't convenience. It was privacy. So privacy is very big in telemedicine. Okay. One, convenience. It is great. Access to care. If you are someone who lives in the middle of Idaho and you have no one who can do this, guess what? So you now have access to care that you need. Yeah. So there are a lot of great benefits to telemedicine. And I don't want you to think that I am anti-telemedicine or anti-direct-to-consumer necessarily. I'm not. But you know, we need to be aware of the potential pitfalls that, yeah. and our listeners need to understand that and our, and our patients so that we can continue to improve these services that are provided. You know, By identifying problems now, we can really help ensure that patients get appropriate safe care. And that's, you know, you, you're a patient forward person. I am a patient forward person and we're patient advocates. And this is, you know, this secret shopper study is a patient advocacy study that we need people to be aware of what's going on um, so that we can improve quality of care. I love it. Thank you for that. And I, and that's an excellent explanation. And um, hopefully there'll be more, you know, legitimate type of services um, out there where people are physicians and clinics are doing the right thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that there's more of the right type of telemedicine uh, direct to consumer uh, offers out there and, and, and uh, clinics out there. Let's move on to a paper you wrote. I, I have to say you write the most interesting papers that I've <laughs> ever, that I've ever come across. 2018, your paper on erectile dysfunction among male adult entertainers. And your conclusion is the following. This is the first study to evaluate ED among adult male entertainers. Male entertainers between the ages of 20 and 29 had both the highest prevalence of moderate to severe ED and the highest erectile aid usage among all male adult entertainers. What, first of all, 
what goes into your mind when you're saying, you know what, I want to, let's see if we could do a study on like what's in your, you have the most curious mind. I think I know, I know in our field, like what's the premise for that? I appreciate that a lot. So the way I do research is I, I like to, I, I used to be a more creative person and I like to be creative and I think of things that A, would either make me laugh or make me interested. And, and I, and one thing that I've always tried to do research is, you know, I, we need people in the lab doing work. I'm not that guy. I've, I did that. I was a biology major. I went to Hopkins. I sat behind a bench for many years. I like that stuff. But at some point I realized like, I like research that I can directly talk to my patient and they can understand in one second. And I can use it in the office and I can use it to counsel someone and it's very straightforward. And so how do I do these things? Sometimes I just ask people or, you know, what are common things that, that they see? So for this study, you know, I was doing my residency in Miami and, you know, you see porn stars. There's a, I don't know if you, no one's ever watched porn, but if you have, um, you know, a lot of it is shot down here. Um, and, uh, you know, so you see porn stars in your office and some of them have erectile dysfunction. And you also see a lot of young guys who watch porn, who also have erectile dysfunction. And sometimes they say, Hey man, I'm trying to compete with all these guys and expectations right. don't meet reality. So right. for a long time, I would say, Hey, you know, I would love it if I could show ga normal guys that you don't want to be like a porn star because they got the problems just like you. And so that's how this kind of study came oh, out. Even more so up or, to or worse. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what do so, porn stars do? So I heard that these porn stars do like an injection uh, when they filming like Trimix or something. Trimix. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in our study, now, once again, we were the first ones to look at porn stars in research, really, in any capacity like this. Um, and it was done through a survey. So a lot of people that there's inherent biases with surveys, right? So yeah. you either you you filled it out or you didn't fill it out. And there, you know, there's the, you know, some people feel strongly about certain things and that's why they fill it out. Or some people are embarrassed and they don't fill it out. So you have to understand that there's inherent biases with this. In ours, I don't believe anyone was injecting Trimex into their penis. Uh, it was really just oral medications. And and that also, you know, people said that they didn't have a penile implant, but we do know that there's a lot of porn stars out there that have penile implants and there's a lot of porn stars that have Trimex, use Trimex. It's just a fact. We know that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. in our study, it was really um, oral medications um, and it was Viagra or Cialis. And uh, you can't even make these numbers up. 69% of all male porn stars were using medication like Cialis or Viagra. I mean, it's just a beautiful number for, for a porn star study. <laughs> I wish I could make that up. Are you and, sure uh, that number was not made up to make the <laughs> no, study and the conversation more interesting? Oh, Come on, man. It's perfect. It was a chef's kiss moment for me. Uh, <laughs> but also 60% were using them for work and personal reasons. And and that's where we, we started getting the erectile dysfunction stuff, right? So work and personal. So more than half of these guys were using it even when they weren't having sex for work, which is, that's the real erectile dysfunction, right? Um, and about... Uh, all, about 40% of all porn stars uh, per us were had ED. We used the SHIM score, which you described before, you know, mild ED is a score of, you know, 22 to 25, uh, no ED is like, it's just a score of, you know, up to five, six questions, IIEF, SHIM, same thing pretty much. Um, so um, what was interesting though, like you said, is the men under 30 were using the most medications and most of those guys with ED were 
and most of these guys with the ED were under the age of 40. So, you know, I think when you're looking at that and you're looking at our data, what do you take away? Um, kind of what we were saying, you know, for, for the average porn consumer, you have to understand that you shouldn't be comparing yourself to these guys and, you know, because they're corking the bat very simply, uh, you know, they're using performance enhancing medications. And not only that, you know, they have worse erections than probably you do half the time, but it also makes sense, right? Like how, you know, guys we talk to in our offices have problems just performing in front of one person that they, they like, uh, whatever kind of partner it may be, it doesn't matter. Imagine trying to have sex with one person, two people, maybe three people in the most unconventional methods with all like 10, 20 people watching you lights glowing on your penis and then you know and then everyone's looking and they're zoomed in on your penis it sounds hard to do so i i, I i'm i so you said about 69 percent use something i'm surprised it's not a hundred percent particularly when yeah, they're working yeah. and when they're being filmed and how would you not have an implant or you <laughs> try crazy, yeah there's no way like most people would even be able to get an erection um under those conditions well, I think the other thing you have to realize is that um, the porn industry is a very, you know, adult entertainers, a lot of them, it's a very transient uh, industry. You know, some people do a do one or two show scenes and then they're done. Uh, you know, continuity is is um, not that high in, in the industry. Um, and we also did it in females. I don't know if you, you saw that data. We also looked at female por uh, adult entertainers as well. Um, and we looked at female sexual dysfunction in, in that population. And, and what was the outcome well, we, of that? I actually didn't see that one. Um, it was actually the opposite. It was, it, and uh, it was, you know, so we looked at female sexual dysfunction, which is something that is grossly under, under discussed and, and, and is something that we need to really, you know, be more vocal about, you know, 40% of women uh, at some point in their lives have some form of female sexual dysfunction, which includes, you know, pain during sex, decreased desire, inability to orgasm, things like that. Um, and uh, we found that only about 24% of female adult entertainers had uh, signs and symptoms that were consistent or were at risk with female sexual dysfunction. And when you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense why, you know, the average age of the female adult entertainer that we were looking at when we got our survey was 34. And I said, this is a very transient industry. If you're 34 and you've been in the industry for a while, you're probably not having very painful sex, right? Like you're not going to stay in, the, in, in, in an industry that's causing you pain, discomfort, and it is not enjoyable. Um, so I think that there is a self-selection there for in that as well. There's a, a bias, right? In, in these surveys. Um, but there's also probably a bias in the population because if you're having these problems, you're not going to stick around. What was also very interesting, and I think that's very important for all partners to understand, is that all these women found their personal sex lives more satisfying than their professional sex lives. So I think that's also important for guys to understand. It's like, yeah, no do one the guys do the guys yeah. find it satisfying when they're working and doing a film as opposed to their personal. So I, we actually didn't ask that because. Uh, for that, um, because I, uh, I wish we did. I, I don't think we did. That's a really good question. That. Yeah. Cause I, it is a great one. You know, I wonder, I, I mean, it's just getting a hard on and, and having sex and ejaculating it, it's ejaculating, having sex a period end of story. So that's always enjoyable regardless of your environment or no, you know what? No, it kind of sucks. And you know, I, I do like my personal, you know, sexual life better. I wonder. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Should have asked. Um, there is some data. So when people ask me, so clinically, and I think even vocally on social media, um, I've been uh, somewhat vocal of do what you want, but be careful with porn if you have ED. The first question I ask when somebody comes comes in with ED is how much porn do you watch? Um, I believe that it's a problem for uh, for guys that are suffering for ED. There might be other problems related, but just for ED for sure. I think the problem is going to get worse as AI gets better. I think there's going to be more problems with uh, technology and its connection to ED and men. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Am I um, exaggerating? What I, it, it, Am I being, I am biased, um, not against, because I think people could do whatever they want, but I am biased towards thinking that porn watching is not a healthy thing, or at least excessive watching of it. Um, a lot of dopamine that's released too, too much of it to, to, at a high rate easy access to porn. So when I think you're a bit younger than me, when I was- No, I'm, I was there. I was the I was the last generation, the magazine, you would find it in the, the woods, you would find a magazine- or the triple X in the, in the VHS. You, you, yeah, the back room VH, where you're- The yeah, back room. Back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it was hard to watch porn back then. It was impossible. Right? And it's hard. So I see these younger guys that literally 12, 13 year old kids that have access, then they're older and they're like, man, I don't know what, I don't even, I have sexual problems. Do I need Viagra? 18, 19, 20 years old. I think that's a big contributor to the, um, to the ED that it's not always just physiological and organic. I think it has to do with that. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, porn and erectile dysfunction is a very complicated thing. I, I don't think that there is, so the data in general shows that using pornography does not cause erectile dysfunction, does not cause sexual dysfunction issues. There's a lot of meta-analyses on this and there's a lot of review papers. However, there are things, you know, and I, and it's all, you know, there's all contextual here. I would say that there is also data that how someone feels about their porn usage inherently can cause sexual dysfunction. And I also think, you know, how the media portrays it impacts people and how they feel about porn. And I also feel that, you know, there is such thing as excessive usage. I'm not a big fan of saying I have porn addiction and things like that because it's not really a DSM identified thing. And I think that what someone, and that becomes a problem where you have people online saying you're addicted to porn. You're not quantifying that. If I watch porn one day a week or once a day, is that porn addiction for me? And then one guy says, I watch porn once a week and now I'm addicted to porn. Like there's no context. It's how you relate to porn, I think is, and pornography is a major impact on your sexual health. Because as we know, how you feel and how you think has such a rule of, uh, uh, you know, if you have guilt, about masturbating and watching porn, then yeah, probably you shouldn't watch porn because right. you, it's going to mess you up. But, you know, porn is a very good thing for a lot of people. Uh, you know, it can be a great tool for, you know, uh, a lot of sex therapists use it to help, you know, treat premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation. Um, there are, it can, you know, provide new inciting things for you to learn and, and, and get comfortable with your sexuality and explore your sexuality. Now I'm going to say the other thing. However, it also provides you with a lot of, you know, fetishes and things that you can't replicate in real life. So your idea of what you can do on on the screen 
cannot simulate, it doesn't, you know, simulate reality. And I think that that disconnect is a problem for a lot of people. And yeah. uh, we have, I highly recommend having Dr. Lisa Paz. She's a sex therapist. Um, she's she's wonderful. Uh, she's down here in South Florida. She's come on my podcast many times. What's her last name? P-A-Z, P-A-Z. She, she teaches at University of Miami. Um, and, and she has this great way of looking at it. And she describes uh, a porn portfolio where, you know, if you hotwire your brain to only look at feet and jerk off to feet, or you only look at boobs that are massive that, you know, are not realistic or an ass that's not realistic, you know, you're going to hotwire your brain and your desire to that way. And you're not going to, you know, get off on a normal person. But she likes using this phrase of like diversifying your, your porn portfolio. If you keep it interesting and you change it around and, and, you know, and you're not just, you know, triggering yourself to one, one pathway, one path of desire, you're really going to be practicing pornography usage in a safer and more practical way. Now, if so there is potentially a healthy, thera even therapeutic, perhaps way of using porn if done correctly, apparently. hundred percent. Uh, and again, I, I'm always look. I'm in I'm in the diet world. There's diet wars. Paleo. No, no. Ketogenic. No, you're crazy, man. It's carnivore. Like no vegetables. The plant-based people, you guys are going to die. You know, it's always that. And so I'm very careful with my own biases as much as pos possible. Yeah. So I'm listening to you. And I'm like, oh, wow, I need to kind of change my tune here a little bit because maybe there is a positive uh, from uh, porn watching. The thing is that um, it seems to me like if if it can be useful and positive, people need to they need guidelines and guidance. They can you know on their own, right? Because it's just a big is easy access. It's not complicated to get. And if you are let uh, left alone, then you're just constantly watching a lot of it in an unhealthy way that's just unproductive and will not provide the health outcome that you're looking for. So that's kind of my takeaway from what you just said. It's yeah, listen, I, and, and here's the thing. It's hard to get guidance on porn. Your parents don't want to talk to you about porn for sure. And, and they, they, don't have the, they don't have the exposure. We're in a new generation, like you said, that they didn't have the exposure that we had growing up to porn and these newer generations. But I also think, you know, there are people who use it too much, a thousand percent. Like, listen, if you're watching porn and it's compromising your social life, your you know, what you're doing, you're masturbating too much that you're, you know, and you're, 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 you're not having a good social life. You're not doing your work. Yeah. Yeah. You probably should not be doing that. Right. Everything is moderation, right? Like we, we live in a world of, of moderation. I, I don't really believe in, in true evils and, you know, there's, there's nothing like that. You know, are people getting earlier exposure sure, to it? Yes. Is this inherently a good thing? Probably not, but you know, I think it, it, all these things can be thoughtfully done. And, I, and I'm not someone who's, you know, there to jump and blame the porn industry or pornography. Sure. Well, a they're lot just of doing their job and they, they, there is an industry and it's right. up to us. Same thing with, look, uh, using using of illicit drugs and things like that. It's, it's always going to be available. It's been available for a long time. It's up to us to say, whatever, I'm not going to use it or I will use, you know, whatever um, and, and, and so forth. So. Um, I actually appreciate that response. Uh, I really have to take another look at this and probably connect with Delisa Paz. That would be that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, testosterone and erectile dysfunction. Right. So most people, or many people in our profession, say, "Look, you you need some. T you need a good amount of testosterone for to get erections. Period. End of story. Because there are receptors in the tissue helps the tissue 
uh, that, that nourish, it nourishes the tissue of the penis, so forth. I've seen some guys with very low testosterone, um, even guys on androgen deprivation therapy with just the use of a PD-5 inhibitor with a Cialis or Viagra, who are actually getting erections and, and performing. So what's the takeaway uh, from your experience and expertise on the association between testosterone and erectile dysfunction? Yeah, so testosterone plays an important role in erectile dysfunction. So first off, it plays an important role in your libido, your sexual desire. Um, it has it has to do with arousal, you know, uh, has to do with nitric oxide production, right? Which is the release of, you know, testosterone stimulates nitric oxide, which is a molecule that releases um, blood uh relaxes the blood vessels so that you can have increased blood flow to your penis. And like you said, it is important for penile tissue maintenance. And it does play a potentially, you know, central nervous system, you know, responses and sexual uh, activity and sexual responses as well. So there, testosterone does have an important role. But one thing that we've all discovered, and like you said, is, you know, life finds a way, man. <laughs> <It's> just to, <laughs> quote, to quote Jurassic Park, you know. Uh, <laughs> Life finds a way where there's a will, there's a way. And I right. think it could be, you know, honestly, I think it's just a will. Like, hey, I, I have prostate cancer, you know, and ADT, you know, is what I, I'm going to find a way to make sure that we can make it happen and work. So, so on average, in most men, you would say there's a strong link. In other words, when you're looking at what's cause, what's the cause of ED, there's psychological. There's uh, uh, there's uh, nerves that need to right need to work properly. There's blood circulation. You would say testosterone is one of the top things that you got to look at to make sure that that's optimal. One hundred percent. Any guy who comes into my office who has erectile dysfunction, I get a testosterone level. Doesn't matter the age. Uh, I automatically get it because it is a sign and a, and a symptom of having low testosterone. Um, yeah, the five things that I describe to my patients that you need to get a good erection, five things, if one of them goes wrong, you could potentially compromise them all, is one, good blood flow. Like you mentioned, you know, we talked about nitric oxide, you need good blood flow to your penis, that's how you get an erection. Blood flowing in, blood coming out, uh, gets trapped, it stays there. So that can be compromised, you know, by heart disease, uh, smoking, vasc anything that could ha happen to your vessels. Any type of um, vascular issue, yeah. Exactly. Also, you know, there's something called venous venous leak, which is a whole other thing that some people can just can, know. can testosterone deficiency cause venous leak? It's a good question. I'm not sure of the answer. I'll be honest. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen that uh, either coral or, or uh, speaking with experts or correlation that was when there's venous leak. They say, look at testosterone. Testosterone. It is a say. By the way, venous leak for the audience is a situation where a guy you know gets a good erection. And is in the middle of having uh, sexual intercourse, uh, they go flaccid without ejaculating or getting an orgasm. And so, um, I'll take it further than that. It's a little bit more because it, it it can be seen in anyone who has issues maintaining or or getting an erection because the concept is really that your penis flows with blood. It compresses the veins. When the veins get compressed, they don't have anything come out, and that's how you keep. It's like a compartment syndrome of your penis, a temporary compartment right. syndrome of your penis. But if you have leakage for other reasons that we have, you know, you can't maintain an erection, you can't get a good erection. So if you cause because that that trapping of the blood is not there. So it's not necessarily always in that moment, but you're right, that can happen a hundred that can happen. But 
it's it's in general it could be for young guys and there's really no good treatment for it other than medications and penile implants and stuff like that rings are great yes very yeah um so blood flow what's the other one blood flow two nerves you know prostate cancer surgery pelvic surgery of any kind diabetes you know back you know spinal cord injury these are all things that can cause erectile dysfunction um and especially diabetes you know people think hands eyes feet you know but the nerves in your penis i don't care how big your penis are is is much smaller than those nerves so it's often the first thing to go if you have poorly controlled diabetes or you've had long-term diabetes three is testosterone we've highlighted testosterone there four and five are super tentorial ones four is what I always ask, you know, about a relationship, their relationship status, because it's arousal. Are you aroused by your partner? Now, it sounds dumb, but it's a real thing. I ask guys and I go, right? I ask guys, I go, well, how long have you been with your, your partner? Well, I've been, uh, been with her for 30 years. I love her to death, but I'm not as attracted to her anymore. Are you because in we're getting love with her. You love her, right. but are you in love with her? And, Literally. Yeah. 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 And, and that's a thing, right? Or they're going through a relationship issue and then they're not attracted at that moment because they're in a dispute or they're having a hard time. So arousal is a big one. And then five is you need to be in a good state of mind, right? To quote, you know, Robin Williams, he said, God gave man a brain and a penis and only enough blood to control one at a time. So it's that's one right. of those things where if you're happy, if you're sad, you're depressed, you're anxious, that your cortisol levels are high, your testosterone levels are low, and you're not, your penis is just not working, right? You know, it's just not going to happen. And conversely, if you have depression, anxiety, and unfortunately, sometimes SSRIs can decrease your libido, cause erectile dysfunction. So it, it, it's a little bit of both. So those are the five things that I like to talk to my patients about when I'm talking about erectile dysfunction. That's lovely, Justin. Um, Justin, you've been extremely generous with your time. Um, though I'm envious that you're actually going to just hit the beach right now. And I just got a text. I just got a text. They're waiting. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to let you do that, man. Uh, so final thoughts, final thoughts. Um, after everything we talked about, I think the most important thing to be is, um, you know, I, to our listeners, to the patients out there, you know, medicine, healthcare, all these things are, are good, but you have to be informed. You have to think about a couple of things. Why are you getting treated? What's your goal of treatment? Who's treating you? How are they treating me? And what's the long-term plan here? And I think if you have this big picture in your mind about anything that we've talked about today, um, I think you're going to be a better, more educated and informed patient to and give yourself the best opportunity to get the best care. Um, and, you know, talking with the right person or feeling comfortable with the person you're talking with is a huge thing. And, you know, even if they're the best doctor in the world, like, or they have the name, if you're not comfortable with them, that's okay. Go talk to someone else. You know, if 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 you don't feel right with that situation, you know, there's a lot of people out there that can help you. Um, but uh, you know, being educated, being comfortable, and understanding the risks and benefits of of you know what you're getting into, I think is a very important thing. Lovely. How can people get in touch with you or your office? So I am in South Florida. Uh, I'm at Brow in Broward County. I have a couple offices in you know, up through Boca as well. Um, but you can search me at Memorial Healthcare Systems, Google my name, Justin Dubin. You can also find me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram at Justin Dubin MD. Uh, we also have a podcast, the man up podcast. We talk about men's health topics, just like the stuff we're talking about mm. today. Um, and, uh, you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, TikTok, Instagram as well. Uh, Twitter, uh, at 
the man the man up pod at www.themanuppod.com so I'll uh, thanks for link all of it up yeah great my pleasure man thank you so much enjoy the beach brother thank you thank you for being on our next sponsor partner has a product i use literally every day i'm talking about ag1 you know, I've been using green powders mixed in drinks for a long time, and it has not always been a great experience, right? The powder clumps up a little bit. It tastes horrible, but you know what? You chug it anyway because it's good for you. AG1 changed the game. With In AG1, you have 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day the right way. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, and energy to help you recover and focus and help you age successfully. To make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo. That is athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify, as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time. And now for a brief disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, Thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with.